Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I am your your co-host, one of your co-hosts, Mike Perry, and uh, I'm here with Brett, Brett the Jones Jones. I don't even know why I said that. I just I tried to come up with something witty, and it just it sounded it sounded ridiculous. But we're gonna keep it. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. We're gonna blame that on daylight savings time and being post-surgical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just, um, I'm actually not under the influence of any drugs. I actually, uh, I stopped those really early, but yes, I did get a, uh, a little bone spur removed the other day and I'm, I'm in a little bit of a small cast and trying to behave. Um, I will say though, um, you know, doing your fall cleanup with the leaves with a, a recently, uh, recently surgically repaired ankle, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. I'm just throwing it out there. Now the majority of the time was on the mower, but um, I, I definitely overdid it. So um, hopefully my doctor's not listening to me because he's going to be shaking his head and going, that guy's an idiot. And I'm going to go, yeah, you're, you're pretty much right. So uh, I irritated it, but here's the scoop. I was very responsible. I wrapped it and made sure it was nice and clean. So no infections. We're good to go. Ship shape, ship shape. But I will say the yard looks fantastic. Oh, I have so many things to say right now that it's I will okay. save. I'll um, save for after the podcast. That's fine. And honestly, it's not, there's nothing you can say to me at this point in our relationship that would surprise me. You've already, I'm already in therapy because of you. Okay. Um, two things. You, you just didn't do enough wrist circles and. Oh, oh that's a good one. And couldn't you have just put a band on that and, and mobbed your ankle? I, you know what I should have done? Uh, I should have done some, some wrist circles with my eye position to the left and, uh, some other stuff, but anyways, that, that'll fix the bone spur. Um, so I don't even know what we're talking about. This is just a bunch of shenanigans. Oh, I know what we're talking about. We're going to talk about tension and relaxation, um, and the importance of tension and the importance of relaxation and how these things apply to, well, strength training, but, um, you know, sports in general. So Brett, I'm going to, I'm going to have you start off because usually what happens is I say something and you go, Mike, I'm going to backtrack. So I'm just going to let you start off because you always <laughs> correct me anyway. So why don't you go ahead and, and, and steal the show and I will ride your coattails. It hurts a little when you say it like that. Um, so yeah, tension and relaxation. So 30,000 foot view tension is strength. Uh, applied quickly, tension is power. Relaxation is speed and relaxation is recovery. Um, we're never really one or the other. It's it's a blend. If you look at the re research from Stu McGill and, you, and he talks about pulsing, where you have this, if we're talking about throwing a punch, there's this pulse of tension that starts the, the energy moving through the body in a particular way, you then must relax in order to let that energy get to the target in as powerfully uh, a way as possible. 
And then there's another pulse of tension as you deliver that, that strike. Um, that's the kettlebell swing, um, in a nutshell, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, and I help I'm in a nutshell. Sorry. Um, I do that. um one of these days we're going to record this and maybe you should get rid of the bacon costume and just get, get it like a nutshell costume at this point. I love it. Um, so toggling between those two things is human movement performance athleticism uh it encapsulates uh so much of what we want to be doing from a from a training perspective and so let's let's drill down just a little bit on uh tension first uh because i think that that is uh obviously as hard style practitioners and people that have been uh, i've been learning from Pavel for over 20 years now um and i can remember february of 02 when we were throwing water bottles at each other uh, not water bottles but uh water balloons um and you know you wanted to toss it back and forth and you had to catch it so that it didn't pop on you and uh, just a little uh side note it was about 30 degrees outside when we were doing this so if if you caught the water balloon and got soaked it wasn't painless it uh it, it had a cost to it so you know, there, there we were, but, you know, one of the things we did, and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure in this, the first thing we did was military press. Um, I could be wrong on that. I could be having a mismemory over, you know, 20 years down the road, but it was all about tension and it was all about, um, you know, the, the press. But then later on, we opened up our hip flexors so that we could uh, have some relaxation and have a powerful swing. So from the earliest days, We've been talking about this, this go between, between tension and relaxation. So tension is your ability to produce force in given condition, in given conditions. That's definition of strength. Since strength is tension, you know, we, we can kind of sub in uh, sort of a similar conversation there. Um, most people walk around in the middle. They don't know how to get fully tense. They don't know how to fully relax. And so they walk around in this gray zone in the middle uh, where, you know, it's, it's like put on a really tight pair of jeans and a really tight T-shirt or um, or whatever and try to go do something like it's just you're just not efficient. It, it slows you down. It makes things more difficult. Um, so we want to be able to surf that continuum from full tension to full relaxation. Um how how do you introduce those concepts with your students? Uh, and and how how do you how do you make what I just talked about user friendly for the the student that you're working with? You know, I really think it it depends on their sort of their training background and their their sports background because um, if you are working with an adult that has done sports in the past and they probably sort of get the idea a little bit, but you know, I think for a lot of people. Um, there, there's a couple different ways that you can sort of introduce tension, right? But I, I will say this, um, if you are going to teach someone how to lift weights, um, it's important very early on to teach them the skill of tension and how to get tight and wedging. Obviously there are some scenarios where that could be contraindicated high blood pressure. You know, there are some people that a Valsalva maneuver, um, could be not appropriate, but I will say this, that, um, it is a skill and it is a skill that takes a little bit of time and depending on the individual, um, you're going to teach it differently. Um, so, you know, there's a few different ways that I like to teach it. Um, and I tend to, when I'm, 
when I'm teaching someone how to really start to brace their midsection, that's one of the first things that uh, I really try to focus on is I'll actually take them through kind of that, that neural developmental sequence where we're going to get them, um, you know, in the supine position and then maybe into the quadruped position where they're doing some like bare planks and, you know, then some regular planks. So one of the things that we try to introduce is um, creating tension without an implement, right? And, and a hard style plank is a, is a nice way to do that. And the beauty of the hard style plank is, you know, you can kind of get them in the position and make sure that, it, that they've got, you know, a decent spine position. And then you can start to try to push them and move them a little bit and start to introduce a little bit of a perturbation. That's a nice way to introduce it. Or actually a really, really nice way to teach someone how to, uh, get, you know, create tension in their abdominals is take that plank right? Where they're digging their toes in and they're in that sort of elbow plank position flip them over, get them in that same position and say, Hey, don't let me move your elbows and try to pull their shoulders, sort of their elbows up towards their ears. And they have to resist it. So a lot of the times you just have to put them in an environment where they have to actually resist movement. And one of the best ways to resist movement is via, you know, creating tension in that musculature. So, um, there's a, you know, several different ways to do it. Um, but that's just one way, but I've always felt like, um, as soon as you can give them the basics of what we're looking for, of how to breathe, how to get tight, you know, how long to hold their breath for, et cetera, then you can start to, um, you know, introduce and implement. And uh, when it comes to teaching someone like, uh, you know, a hinge pattern, one of my favorite ways to, to teach tension is doing like a hover deadlift or a pause deadlift, whatever you want to call it. But it's where you wedge them up, you get them in a solid position, and then you just have them float that kettlebell off the ground for you know, anywhere from five to 10 seconds. Right. And, and the beauty of that is you don't have to, you're not wondering, Hey, are you getting tight? Because you can see it immediately. Right. Um, if they just float that kettlebell off the ground, just a little bit, um, they're learning and they're feeling tension. And I think the beauty of that is there's a little bit less talking and if they can feel it right, then, then they're on the path of skill acquisition. So that's one of the ways that I'll, that I'll tend to introduce it. But um, it is super important early on, and, and this is a mistake that I've made is, um, you know, I've taught someone how to, to deadlift or squat, and you can kind of take advantage of those newbie gains, right? Where, you know, you get someone that's never deadlifted before, and maybe they have a decent athletic background. And, you know, before you know it, they're, you know, they're, they've put 150 pounds on their deadlift, and they've never even deadlifted before. That's those newbie gains. And that's a, a big, a big part of that is just the, their neurologic component of, of, you know, getting acclimated to, um, to lifting weights, but here, here's the problem is that if you do not teach them true tension and wedging and how to zip up early on, they are going to hit a premature plateau because they don't really understand how to get tight. They know the basics, but they don't know how to get real tight to get over that plateau. And, and what did I have to do? This is my own mess up. I'm going to make the, you know, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Like I had to go back and reteach tension again, because I kind of skipped that step. And uh, that was a mistake that I made early on. So um, it, it is a skill and it takes a little bit of time. But, you know, if you are working with someone and their goal is strength, tension needs to be one of the first things that they learn from a skill acquisition standpoint. So let's 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 talk about that skill and that uh, that adaptation uh, standpoint, because really we're talking about three three factors, neurological uh, metabolic and mechanical. Mm -hmm. Um, so if we drill down just a little bit into the neurological aspect of it, um, and I can remember this, this is circa 1998 or 99. Uh, I was at a perform better one day learn by doing in Columbus, Ohio, 
with and uh, Juan Carlos Santana and Diane Vivas was uh, up on stage with him. And Juan Carlos was up there giving his his talk. And he goes, look, muscles are dumb. They only do what the neurological system tells them to do. And at this point in my career, I'm a hit Jedi. I'm a one set to failure. This is the holy grail of training, you know, sort of mindset. I can only train my muscle once every nine days because I have to have that much time to recover. <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> so, um, sorry, just a little frog in my, th- yes, a uh, uh, frog in my throat <laughs> there. Um, and, you know, I sat there for a second trying to de- debunk that in my own pea brain and uh, couldn't because it's true. And so the neurological adaptation, you were just referring to the newbie gains where it's like, man, they just make this incredible quick progress. That that adaptation is primarily neurological. Mm-hmm. So we are doing several different things there. And we, we could break it down back to the corticospinal sort of level, but let's not do that. Yeah. Um, I'd have to go just... back and get a textbook anyways, because <laughs> I haven't studied that stuff in a while. So please don't bring that up because I'm going to sound like a moron. Understood. So... The uh, so if we just look at it from a motor patterning standpoint, um, and and they've done some EMG research where they look at the transition between muscle groups and something like a bench press. And when you take an amateur and you put them into the bench press, you get uh, a, maybe a little bit of lats, you get some chest, and then there's like a it's like being in a car with somebody that doesn't know how to drive a stick. And you get the you get jerked around between each gear because they don't know how to make a smooth transition. That's what the EMG looks like. So it's chest, shoulder, tricep, and you get a strength professional on the on the bench, and you look at that EMG, and what you get is lats transitioning smoothly into chest, transitioning smoothly into shoulders, transitioning into triceps, and now you have this summation of all of these different groups coming together and working to complete that skill in a smooth and seamless transition. It's like being in the car with a Formula One driver. You don't feel the gears change. You just go faster. Yeah. And so that neurological, just from a motor patterning standpoint of organizing the, the firing sequences and the intramuscular coordination that occurs um, that's a huge component of, of what we're talking about. And I, let's avoid the conversation of fiber types. And because I, I actually think fiber types are, um, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what do you want to be good at? Train that and let your body figure it out because you can't change them all that much. Anyway, so those neurological adaptations, that efficiency, that intramuscular coordination, uh, also, but also what happens is uh, if you look at Henneman's size principle and you look at motor unit recruitment, what you're going to see is as you get better at producing this force and contracting what needs to be contracted, uh, it might have taken you a thousand motor units. I'm just making numbers up. It might have taken you a thousand motor units when you first started learning that skill but then it only takes you 500. Mm -hmm. We have an extra 500 left to produce more force. So you get stronger because of these neuromuscular adaptations, intramuscular adaptations. Um, So there's a lot happening from the neurological standpoint. Let's go mechanical next because um, draw it all the way back to cross bridges and your ability to, uh, you know, calcium dumps in, 
bada bing, you get cross bridging, uh, Acton, um, and all that, but cross bridges, all that fancy stuff happens and you produce, you shrink the sarcomeres and you produce force. Uh, you produce tension within the muscle. Um, that's a, a trainable skill. That is an, an adaptation. Uh, sometimes they'll talk about adding sarcomeres. Eh, um, eh, research is all over the place with hypertrophy. Um, but, you know, from a strength standpoint, we definitely know that better cross bridging, uh, more actinson, more myosin, um, all of those things are happening at a, at a, a better uh, level. Metabolically, Strength training is very interesting from a metabolic standpoint. This is this is a rabbit hole that that Strong First has certainly taken a deep dive down with via strong endurance and quick in the dead and um, altering conditioning and things of that nature. And we know from a conditioning standpoint, when you're doing something like sprinting, uh, we know that there's a pretty predictable uh, alactic glycolytic aerobic response to specific work, work rest ratios. Within the muscle uh, for strength training and producing tension, uh, it is amazing how quickly you go glycolytic, but you go glycolytic very quickly because a, the a lactic system is the a lactic system. And it's only around for a few seconds. Mm -hmm. B there's no blood flow. So where you would normally get fresh stuff in there to help buffer, you know, hydrogen ions and things like that, and, and maybe have a turnover towards the aerobic system you don't really have that chance because you're generating so much tension. There's a massive reduction in blood flow because, and you get kind of stuck in the glycolytic uh, system, which is inefficient, produces a lot of uh, metabolic byproducts. And so, you know, that um, is a reason to keep your sets shorter. Um, and, and whether you look at velocity-based research, whether you look at the most recent, one of the most recent articles I've seen out of the journal strength conditioning research, comparing three sets of eight at 75% versus six sets of four at a 75%, five minute rest period with the three sets of eight, two minute rest period with the three sets of six or six sets of four better neurological, metabolic, and mechanical adaptations and recovery in the six sets of four, even though they were, even though they were only using two minute rest periods. So there is a lot of wisdom in keeping your sets shorter and not going for those extended sets. So somewhere in that mix of neurological adaptation, metabolic adaptation, and mechanical adaptation, there, there is this increase in skill in what we call strength and tension. And it's primary, you know, I, I'm going to go back and say that the neurological uh, is the big driver there. I'm going to take a break now. I just feel like you schooled us um, right there. I just, I feel like, you know, right there, we should just stop the podcast. No, uh, really good job kind of, uh, you know, nailing those sort of three components of it. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that I want to kind of dial in on something that you said is, you know, sort of how your body responds to tension. And, um, you know, <clears throat> when it comes to creating a lot of tension, especially for a long, long period of time, um, there's a reason why like various types of isometrics are incredibly fatiguing to the nervous system. And, um, you know, there are several types of, of isometric exercises, but if you've ever done any really, really high tension exercises, um, that might've been the first time you've actually felt neurological fatigue. And it's a very, very interesting thing to feel because it's, it's almost like you feel a little spacey. Um, it, it, you feel like almost like things aren't firing correctly and uh, neurological fatigue is, it's a real thing, but 
you don't get neurological fatigue from going from like, you know, like a 30 minute run. It's usually from max effort work or um, repetitive stuff over time where you're just murdering yourself. Uh, it could be, it could be isometrics. It could be, you know, hammering a bunch of one RMs. It could be a powerlifting meet. Um, it could be just exposing yourself to an environment that is very, very, um, uh, non-forgiving to the body. Like for example, I remember when I, when I did my first, um, uh, my first jujitsu comp, I felt a bunch of different types of fatigue, but there was that neurological fatigue as well. So two seconds, endocrine, yeah, Adre adrenaline and stress, please continue. <laughs> Yes, I want to come back to that. No, 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 that's fine. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, for example, I, one of the ways I think people will understand sort of how, how tension really works is if you've ever done a TSC, um, you know, you do your max deadlift and, and, uh, which, you know, it's, it's going to get you, but it's the pull-ups. I found that the pull-ups, the max effort pull-ups, when you start to do those and, you know, I remember the last time I did the TSC, I was up around 20 ish, but man, the amount of tension that I had in, in my forearms and in my hands and in my, in my body was just, um, absolutely ridiculous. And you do, you feel that burn. So, but I think a lot of the times people think that, you know, when you're creating tension from a lifting standpoint, it's only like high tension from, uh, you know, doing like a heavy, heavy one RM or a two RM, but that's part of it, but it's how long you are under tension in the time under tension that is going to impact, what happens from a physiological standpoint. And, and like Brett said, if you are, if you are holding on to tension for far too long, your body can't manage that. You're going to accrue metabolic waste. You're going to get muscle occlusion, which is going to limit blood flow. And then what do you have to do to try to remedy that? Well, one of the things that we use in strong force is fast and loose that will help facilitate the blood flow. Right. So there's a, there's a lot of things that are happening at that point, but, um, you know, tension, it's a continuum. It's absolutely a continuum, but in general, short bursts of short bursts of tension are your friend from a strength standpoint. But again, if we're all tension all the time, that's premature fatigue, and that's where you have to learn how to dial back that tension. And uh, I know you're going to say some stuff now, so I want to let you roll with that because I can I can already <laughs> see you just jumping at the bit. Uh, well, two things, uh, and I forgot this when we talked about the metabolic adaptations is the the uh, endocrine response. Um, especially if you're ramping up to a very high tension, um, lift like a one RM deadlift or a max set of pull-ups or, you know, max military press or whatever. Um, you know, the, when you hit the adrenaline button, uh, which is just like having, if you're a, a fan of the, uh, fast and furious franchise, when you hit the NAS button, um, which I'm actually not a fan of the franchise. I've never even seen one of the movies, but now I'm culturally re culturally relevant to all the kids out there. Um, but when you hit that NAS button and you get that massive increase, that's the adrenaline system. And when, when you, when you, or the adrenaline response and too many people get used to living on that adrenaline response, you know, they're taking pre-workout so that they get jazzed up with energy. They're banging their head against the bar or listening to their mommy didn't hug me. Daddy didn't love me music. Um, <laughs> listening to all the, the angry stuff, um, you know, and I, we'll talk about the mental side of tension and strength here in, in, in just a minute, because that's a, that's a whole other uh, avenue of this. And when we first, so you want to judiciously use the NAS, you, you want to use just enough of the adrenaline to get the job done and 
99% of your training should not involve an adrenaline dump uh, in order to get the work done. Uh, we in, I introduced tension and uh, relaxation from the very positive aspect. I said tension is strength, tension is power. That's athleticism, a lot of stuff we want to do. Relaxation is speed, relaxation is recovery. Well, tension is also fatigue. Relaxation is also lack of stability and, and looseness. And those both have a cost when, when applied at the wrong time. And so uh, if we flip to the other side of the coin now and we talk about relaxation, um, we still have neurological, metabolic and mechanical adaptations that are occurring there. And uh, when you generate a muscle contraction, you dump calcium in uh, via the sarcoplasmic reticulum. And that's what spurs the, the muscle contraction. Well, guess what you have to do to create relaxation? You now have to pump that out in order to get the muscle to relax. Well, that's a third of the of the muscle's energy expenditure is in pumping the calcium out to produce relaxation. It's actually very intensive from a neurological, a metabolic, and a mechanical standpoint. Um, there's a mindset out there that sarcoplasmic reticulum is actually the most important part uh, of the muscle uh, fiber because that's where that pumping in and out. Pumping in is easy, right? You open the door and, and stuff, stuff drops out, getting it back in there is, is the hard work. So there's, there's that same neurological, metabolic and mechanical adaptation standpoint that we're talking about from a relaxation standpoint, it is a trainable skill. The re the fast and loose drills, the relaxation vibration drills that we uh, use within strong first as a means of dropping tension and creating better recovery between sets, um, between sessions, um, can also be paired with actual tension relaxation drills where you're generating max tension and relaxing as much as possible. And you're, you're developing that ability to pump that calcium in and out in a very efficient fashion. So we want to be good at developing tension and we're going to separate the conversation here from pardon me, a max or heavy squats, a one arm kettlebell military press, a deadlift versus running around the soccer pitch. Nobody's running around the soccer pitch at max tension. If you are, you're the ball boy. <laughs> you're, you're, slow. You're, you're slow. You're the ball person, ball girl, ball, ball boy, ball person, whatever you want to say. Um, you're, you're not a good soccer player. Um, so, all of this eventually becomes uh, reactive in nature. Uh, when we look at tension, we talk about feed forward tension, irradiation, dominata. Feed forward tension, I want to prepare for the load. I don't want to wait for the load to re get a reaction out of me. And there are people that, that work like that. Irradiation means muscles that wire together, fire together. So if I can get more people cheering, the louder the crowd is. That's irradiation from a muscular and, and strength standpoint. But the dominata tampers that or tempers that, um, tempers, not tampers, tempers that into enough tension to enhance the lift, not so much tension that it's the goal of the lift. You can squeeze yourself silly. The hard style plank is actually a really good example of that. You can squeeze so much tension into the system, you can't move or do anything. That's not the best way to enhance your military press. 
You need to guide the tension. Stu McGill calls it steering strength. You need to guide that tension uh, into the right place. Naked warrior. Pavel talks about this pneumatic system within the body of using the inhale and the active negative to load uh, the pneumatic system and then use that pneumatic system more like a hydraulic system to produce strength and steer your strength where you want it to go. Um, and, and that ties in back into the skill conversation, neurological adaptations. Um, does anybody out there hear the mild amount of excitement in my voice right now that I might be a touch passionate on this and having bent nails, uh, done some pretty high level grip feats, done some decent level strength training. Um, I, I love strength. And if you love strength, you love tension, but you have to know what it is, how to produce it, how to control it, how to direct it. You have to know how to counteract it. You have to know how to relax. You have to know how to do the other side of the coin. I've talked a lot. I'm going to shut up now. Yeah. So it's about freaking time. Um, no, anyways, Sorry. you can tell Brett could go all day on this stuff, but, um, let's talk about, um, kind of a real life application because we we've talked about, you know, the deadlift and, and, and the military press a little bit, but, um, let's kind of talk about, uh, tension in the military press because, um, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, one of the sort of feats of strength, if you will, or one of the, the goals of, of an SFG level two is, a is for, for males, a half body weight press. And, uh, um, let me tell you that will, uh, that will humble you rather quickly if you are not prepared. And, and, um, you know, there, there's several things that have to happen. And, and I, I think the first thing is, is if you want to get good at a particular skill, I think you have to spend a lot of time with that skill, but here's, here's the thing. You can't always lift light because if you lift light, you'll never find your true working groove. And I think, you know, a lot of you, we've heard this sort of idea of, you know, creating enough tension. So the heavy, heavy weights feel light. Right. And that is, that is a thing, but at the same time, you do have to start training with an appreciable load to understand and feel tension because, um, you know, if I'm working with someone, they're decently strong and I give them a four kilo kettlebell and I'm like, I need you to press this. They're, they're not even going to think about tension. They're just going to move their hand overhead and they're going to just essentially press it because they don't even need a strategy to lift it because it's, it's not even giving them enough feedback. So um, at a certain point, you're going to have to spend a little bit of time just pressing to, to figure out your groove and to really develop that skill. And I wish there was a hack and, and I wish there was a way that you could sort of skip the process, but um, you just can't, you have to spend a lot of time developing your groove and you have to start eventually going heavy. And that's why, um, you know, we've got wavering of the load, which is, you know, a nice way to, to train with different kettlebells. That's why we have ladders, right. To give you the opportunity to accrue volume in a safe and efficient fashion, because, um, if you can accrue high quality reps with an appreciable weight over time, that is going to teach you about tension. And then you'll start to learn how much you need to complete each lift. Cause again, with the dominante, it's not about just creating tension. It's about creating the appropriate amount of tension. So when you do lift, you're using hopefully the right amount. So you're not overshooting it. Right. Um, and it does take time. And obviously there are ways to program that, but you know, I think what it boils down to when it comes to something like a military press is yes, you have to have the basic mechanics. You have to have the basic mobility, but you just have to start practicing and getting acclimated to the load. Right. And there's several different ways that you can prepare for that, but um, there is no substitute for just spending time 
with a kettlebell and actually literally putting the work in. hundred percent. And I think that uh, two things here, um, I've seen a lot of people try to prepare for a half body weight press over the years who use a moderate weight strategy, which is, which is a legitimate and, and, and good strategy. But without that heavy practice that you're talking about, they get so used to accelerating that light weight, uh, lighter weight, that once they're under load and that first burst of acceleration doesn't carry the load overhead, they don't know what to do with it. There's nothing coming behind it. Um, an old time power lifter named Mark Henry, who said, you got to have a good low gear. And if you've ever tried to pull a trailer or pull something that's stuck in the mud, you don't do that by yanking on it. That's how things <laughs> you, break. <laughs> that's how things break. You do that by having this good low gear that can push through, pull through um, the that resistance. And that is uh, probably one of the most effective analogies for why it's so important to develop that low gear I know a lot of the emphasis in strength conditioning field has gone towards acceleration, uh, velocity-based training, things like that. I get it. There's some fantastic tools in there. But if you're if we're talking max strength, at a certain point, the bar ain't moving fast. Mm -hmm. So you can either have a good low gear and know what it's like to push against that, that, that something you're trying to accelerate but it ain't accelerating. It's just moving. Um, you you got to develop that. Uh, so yeah, uh, great points. And then, you know, you, you got to be able to shake off that tension. You got to be able to drop it. And um, I think that uh, that is definitely a missing skill for uh, a, a large number of people. And we could come back and do kind of a second podcast on tension and relaxation and how breathing techniques uh, play into, into this. Absolutely. Um, and, and you know what, when you are lifting heavy, it's called a grind for a reason, right? Um, you know, there's, there's really two ways to get strong, right? There's, I mean, there's several, but you look at the conjugate system, it's, it's lifting heavy weights, right? Um, it, slowly or lifting lighter weights fast. And, um, I, I do believe that you have to practice, uh, throughout that entire continuum to get a true appreciation of strength training. But one of the analogies that I like to use for, for lifting, especially in a deadlift is the idea of, uh, of a crane. And I always tell people, imagine this analogy. If you've got a crane lifting like a big, you know, container, like a shipping container in the four corners, uh, the first thing that the, you know, the crane operator going to do is obviously they're going to attach it, but they're going to take all of the tension out of the cables before they lift it. Right. Because you want to make sure that the slack is gone. And then once the slack is gone, then they can actually start to lift the implement. If, if you, if you put it in a scenario where three out of the four cables are tight and one is a little loose and you try to, you try to lift that up, there's your weak link, right? So that's why it's important to create a, a, a ton of total body tension. And actually I think of the, the term hoist, hoisting the, the weight off the ground and, and creating enough tension and slack that when you do lift, we don't have any energy leaks. And, and that's an analogy that I like to use with, with people in general, when it comes to, you know, creating tension, but, um, let's kind doth, of change gears a little bit, Brett, if, if doth, you, doth, you would change this gear, doth thou even hoist? Uh, the, I, I just, <laughs> what movie was that? It was a Chevy chase movie. I don't know. He said, it just, it, it, it popped, it popped to mind. I just, I said something and it was 
terrible. I, I wish I could, I'll replay that later, but um, of Kith and Kin, that was it. <laughs> Christmas vacation. Um, let's talk about tension and relaxation um, in sport. And uh, I always like to use the idea of, uh, or the, not the idea, but I love to talk about Michael Jordan or Allen Iverson, um, two guys that had an, an incredible crossover and, you know, they were notorious for kind of lulling a guy in one direction and having a hard, hard crossover and, you know, making guys look silly and breaking their ankles, not, you know, not really breaking their ankles, but, you know, having them trip. And what they would do is they would, they would kind of have this scenario where they'd kind of go in one direction and all of a sudden, boom, they would just make this hard, hard cut and crossover. And then, it would just create a ton of space for them to shoot a jump shot or do something else. And, uh, you know, that is something that the best athletes in the world, you know, do quite well is they, they understand how to balance tension and relaxation and they understand the nuances and the timing of it. And it happens over years of training. Right. And, um, it's, it can be taught. Some people can just naturally do it, but, um, it's really beautiful to watch when you see, you know, these, these athletes, you know, whether they cover five yards really quickly or they, they stop really quickly. It's like, wow, they have such command of what's going on. But a lot of that is just the efficiency of their gas and braking system, being able to kind of switch gears very, very quickly and be efficient with that. Um, obviously there's, there's several other components, um, joint angles and, and conditioning that has to, that has to go with that part. But, um, it's a beautiful thing to watch when you see, you know, those old videos of Jordan or AI, just, just cutting people up and, um, you know, it's, it is a skill. And that's one of the things that we try to teach as, as movement coaches, especially if you're working with lacrosse players or, or basketball or whoever, I mean, uh, Lee Taft does a really good job of breaking down basic fundamental movements. Um, because guess what, if you, if you aren't genetically gifted, if you aren't, you know, the, the Michael Jordans and the Allen Iversons, I'm, I'm not saying those guys didn't work hard. I'm just saying those are, a, you know, the, the outliers. Um, it's important to spend time learning and it, it's, it's a skill just like anything else. And uh, if you put the time in, you'll start to learn how to do it. And um, that can be one of your greatest assets on the field. Absolutely. And, and this is somewhat outside of the tension relaxation talk, but uh, vision. Yeah. Those people, Barry Sanders, um, you know, there's a bunch of different uh, Roger Federer. You know, we, we, we could pull examples from a bunch of different sports, but those people quote, read, the field read the competition differently they know what you're going to do two steps before you do it yeah so they they can lead you that direction and then they have that superior neurological system that that superior gas and braking system where they hit the brakes and change directions and you're and you're falling over yourself because you can't stop yourself because yeah. they set you up for it so there's there's a there's a a, a a few factors in there but it's definitely if you're thinking tension and relaxation as you're trying to perform in whatever sport you're lost. <laughs> yep. Uh, you, you need to stop and realize that the goal uh, of strength training, the goal of, of building your develop ability, to develop tension, your ability to develop relaxation is to then go apply it in a way that you don't have to think about it. The gift of strength training is it's happening at a pace and in a place huh, in a, a where, good. sorry, that's pretty good. Yeah, that, was, that was all right. Um, where you can have time to apply feed forward irradiation dominata. You can learn that skill. You can take time after a set to produce relaxation, to know what it's like to dump that tension sometimes very quickly. 
but then you must go practice and play and do in a way where you're not thinking about it, but you're letting those skills transfer. I think this is another reason why the kettlebell swing and ballistics uh, have such tremendous carryover because there is that rapid um, absorption and redirection of force that happens in a very unique way. Um, so yeah, I, I think if, if we draw the conversation out to the performance end of things, especially from an athletic uh, standpoint, pardon me, we want to make sure that we, we can transfer those skills uh, to the, to the, to the field. And this will hurt some people. Uh, it hurt me uh, emotionally, not physically um, that uh, you can get too strong for your sport. Uh, when I was at my first uh, event with Pavel and I was jumping and grabbing the rim after learning how to release my hips and produce, you know, really good hip extension when I wasn't fighting the parking brake of my hip flexors and I was grabbing the rim, which I'd never been able to do, uh, my max back squat was mm, 365, something, something around that nature, uh, which was a double body weight squat. I mean, nothing to... Well, it is something to sneeze at, but, you know, maybe only once instead of the usual three sneezes. Um, but then fast forward a few years when I was powerlifting, weighing about 195, uh, but squatting 518, um, I was nowhere near the rim. Yeah. So if you follow, if you just say, you know, your ability to produce max tension is the key to everything, um, it is if you just want to be good at back squatting <laughs> well powerlifting the powerlifting powerlifting is, in general powerlifting yeah. is a perfect example of when maximal tension is your best friend yep. um but and this is a hey guys listen this is a this is the reality of it for those of you that work with athletes um there is strong enough and uh if you're just chasing 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 numbers and endless one rms um sure the the numbers may look good on paper and it's great for your ego but there might be a chance that you made that player worse because, um, you know, maybe they don't move as efficiently now. Maybe they don't move as well. Um, so we're not saying don't get strong, but we're saying at a certain point you are, it's checks and balances. If you, if you go so far in one direction, you're going to lose something else. And, uh, I've seen that with, with, with some of my professional fighters as well. And, and there's certain sort of guidelines with these guys, like usually with the deadlift, it's about two times body weight, anything over that. I, I just don't bother with anymore. Um, I, I, it's, it's not that I don't believe that, you know, getting stronger could help them, but do I, do I, have I seen any sort of credible evidence that getting them to a two and a half or a three times body weight deadlift is going to make them win more fights? No, because at a certain point, then you're, then you're dealing with other stuff, right? Cause anytime you, you go in one direction, um, you're, you're trading off something else and, and that's a, a, a whole other discussion, but, um, you know, Again, tension is strength and, and tension is also safety as well. And um, because if you're if you're not tense enough and you don't create enough tension, then you could be throwing other parts of your body sort of, you know, uh, <clears throat> to the wolves, so to speak. And uh, so it, it, this is where it's an art and a science, right? And this is where you have to be uh, a smart strength coach and, and, and a smart trainer where, you know, what is enough, right? And, and if you're a power lifter, yeah, then, you know, there really is probably never enough. But if you're working with general population um, or even athletes, there is a certain point where just heavier is not better. Um, and uh, it's it's a hard pill to swallow because, you know, I think true strength coaches, they, they obviously want to see their athletes get strong. But, um, you know, remember, we are strength and conditioning coaches, and that's a whole nother aspect of it. But 
Um, you know, tension and relaxation is it's a it's a fun topic, and uh, I've learned so much from from you and from Pavel, and just diving in and doing it. And um, they are both skills that can be absolutely learned. But like any skill, if you want to be good at it, you just have to put the time in. You can't hack your way through it. You can't shortcut your way through it. Well, and, and to to kind of maybe put a bow on it and talk about the mental aspect of being willing to uh, being willing to be strong. And, um, you know, this is something that I've, uh, via strength training, nail bending, grip feats, uh, different, different things like that. Um, I, I have a pretty good ability to produce tension and summate force, mm-hmm. um, pretty, pretty learned skill mentally. And let's use nail bending as an example. Um, it's not comfortable. <laughs> there's a, no. there's a pretty significant degree of discomfort um in in generating that much tension against a piece of steel and trying to get that piece of steel to give way to your strength which by the way when it happens it's amazing um it's one of the best feelings and so but there's a a lot of discomfort that comes with that so your ability to override that to summate your force in a in a way that you overcome the steel um, that there's a huge mental component to that. And a lot of people are not aware of the fact that they are the brakes on their strength, um, their perception their, um, and, and, and like I said, they may not even be aware of it, but they're the brakes because there is some discomfort involved. There is um, a, a mental aspect of being willing to go there. Yeah, you know, I uh, Bud Jeffries, uh, may he rest in peace, and and uh, what what a uh, and his son, and and what a what a great guy, what a great man um, who tried to do a lot of good. Um, but you know, Bud was a professional strongman, and you know, we were talking, uh, and uh, it was actually in front of a, a kettlebell certification group, and they were like, "What are you thinking when you're doing that?" And I'm like, "I'm actually just in a really dark place." <laughs> and I'm generating, yeah. you know, I don't need mommy didn't love me. Daddy didn't hug me music. There's enough happening under the surface here that maybe it is Stallone, you know, turning the ball cap around backwards and, you know, over the top and boom, he's a raging maniac. Um, that's kind of max strength in a nutshell. You got to be willing to flip the switch and, and be willing to be strong. Um, now on the flip side of things, you got to be skilled at relaxing and know when to do, when to do each. So yeah, there's, there's a mental aspect here. Um, there's a, a will and a willingness to be strong, despite the fact that there's going to be some discomfort. There's going to be some, uh, uh, pressure, uh, related to that, that journey. And, um, you know, I, I'll say, honestly, it's not for everybody. And not everybody needs to know what it's like to pull a max deadlift or bend a red nail or, you know, do, do some of these silly things that I've, uh, <laughs> that I've taken on. Um, but uh, there, there is a lot to be learned uh, in that process and in that journey. And at it, it, whatever level you take it, there's benefits to knowing how to um, knowing how to produce tension and knowing how to produce relaxation. Absolutely. No, I, uh, that was a, you know, a great way to sort of end the podcast. So, um, Brett, anything else you'd like to add for today? You good? I like tension. 
I like turtles. <laughs> All right. We're going to leave it at that. Guys, thank you so much. That's a wrap. Um, do us a favor. If you enjoyed this podcast, give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And uh, we will see you on the next episode. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, everybody. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.